May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. This is a short sermon for the Feast of Hey Jude, and the text is Hey Jude, but not the original, which is wonderful and rich and enduring, but the Paul Moriat version. And I guess, uh, as Cream said once, I feel free, and I'd like to talk about this text as it makes two compelling and to me important points about my condition, and I would hope about the human condition. Now, the text involves a breakdown of a familiar song into Paul Moriat's language, and this breakdown uh, declares something about the nature of reality, entities, and the self that speaks to breakdown in the sense that people experience it. Now, good Lord, how could that possibly be? Especially, what is this insane idea off the wall? Or as someone whom I love recently wrote me, your adventures into weird music continue to astound me. And he's known me a very long time. Now, the breakdown is as follows. You begin with a highly articulated strings section. Da, da, Da 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 This articulated strings, which you could say is lame, I think it's fabulous and very interesting, is the first part of the breakdown. The second part of the breakdown of the old song into its constituent elements, and it wasn't all that old when Paul Moriat recorded his version of it with his Son Grand Orchestre, the second part is the way the brass comes in. Now, if you like Paul Moriat and you've heard Love is Blue, you'll know that Paul Moriat at his best, that may be a, what is it, Rick, someone said Clemson University, you know, what is it, a tautology or something? Anyway, uh, Paul Moriat at his best has great brass. He'll have a little bit of this uh, uh, harpsichord or piano interlude, which sounds sort of George Martinish and classical, and then the tune itself usually carried very... Um, sort of romantically by the lush and soaring strings. And uh, then, oh, and by the way, at the end of the podcast, you'll hear from Paul Moriat's, uh, you might say, competitor, Raymond Lefebvre, who also uses strings to astonishing effect in another cover of a deeply religious song. Now, the um, brass become the second constituent element in this breakdown of life. And I won't try to sing the brass part, but the brass carry the beat, they carry the soul, they carry the power. They are the engine uh, in which you might say that the uh, strings are the melodic carriage. And this engine is very powerful. And that's when Paul Moriat's songs become really popular because they combine the melodic strings, which are really beautiful, with this oomph. Uh, of the brass, uh, their outstanding brass players and brass section come in, and that's the next constituent part. You'll hear it, and then you have a little bit of the drum, and then at the end, the famous da 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 da
is really well done. And it gives a kind of, there's a little moment of kind of a Bill Wyman bass from 19th Nervous Breakdown where the drum, I think it's a drum, but I don't know what instrument it was, goes, and uh, that leads you into the very strong brass, rhythmic, soulful conclusion, abbreviated, but in a way good in this case, because it leaves you wanting more. And that's the breakdown. Now, I want to talk about the breakdown of entities. Now, you and I are constantly breaking down. No, that's not really true. We break down from time to time. Best that we break down early. Breakdown is when the constituent elements that have been held together by some coordinating personality, or as they say today, some story or some narrative of who you are as a person, some external and internal stress come together and blow you up. And so you are, as James Taylor used to say in Fire and Rain, in pieces on the ground. And that's what a nervous breakdown is. It's the combination of external stresses and internal fault lines that um, cannot hold under the impact or the weight of the stress. And you split apart and fall apart and are atomized and in composite uh, com components on the ground and that's what happens in the song you take an old song like a good song not old a good song like eternally new uh like hey jude and then uh uh you break it down which paul Moriat does and this is his characteristic uh, uh modus operandi but it really works in this one i think uh you break it down and then something new comes and that's really what personality is personality gets broken down by stress and internal fault lines and something new, something better beginning, you know, something new comes out. Now, the Buddhists uh, are, take this fairly far, Orthodox Theravada Buddhists, and they want to say, they want to talk about the third characteristic of all reality is is that it is, uh, there is no self, anatta, no an self, atta. And uh, that the fact of human personality, really the sort of deep elephant in the room is that we don't exist as persons. We are simply the some of different elements that come together for a variety of reasons at a particular point in time. And that's why we are different. I'm different in my 20s than I am in my 60s. You're different in your 30s than you were in your teens. And so you're, the the constituent elements are held together only by what they call a kind of, um, you might almost call it probability or no. Uh, they just call it dependent arisings. Uh, they're not really into chance theory, don't misunderstand. But they say that the person that I am is a bunch of you know genetics and psychological gravity and early experiences and things that formed me, the child is father of the man, an educational uh, background and certain expectations coupled with karma or some kind of deeper sense of what religion sometimes calls you know, um, the great, uh, the, the, the wheel in the sky or karma or predestination. These are all words that have different um, meanings to different people and different negative associations to different people, but simply say that there's something here that we, our nervous breakdown reveals that we're not who we thought we were. And that's kind of the, the notion that we are some kind of absolutely uh, written out clear script from beginning to end. DNA would be part of that, by the way, is simply false when the breakdown of the elements occurs as in and Hey Jude, which are then brought together, or the Iron Giant. Remember the end of the Iron Giant, same idea. Well, now, I want to uh, leave this to you. Uh, I want to ask you to think about this. Uh, your own self, um, isn't it an insight here from the, our text that uh, you really are really the sum of your parts? And is the whole greater than the sum? Well, at this point in my life, I don't accept the third characteristic, as the Theravada people say. I do tend to want to see something that is uh, continuous. I, I just see it in my own empirical memory. I see the same, certain of the same themes going on, whether they're divinely governed, uh, karmatic, um, 
energies, whether they're um, certain psychological givens that I see as active when I was four as I do when I'm 64, you know, to quote the same great authors of songs. Uh, is it, um, I tend to see there's something, I'm not entirely comfortable with that something. I almost wish that the Theravada people were right, but suffice it to say that this song is a window into the human self and the question marks that Hey Jude has when it is broken down and turned into something quite completely different, and yet there still is Hey Jude. Now that comes me to the second point. This song, although broken down, and although very uh, very different in its re built house than the original touches me because even the Paul Moriat version takes me back to the song as it was when it first made an impression. Now let me talk about this in light of the eternal plan of God. Now, good Lord, I want to talk about simply myself, but without drawing attention, trying to be um, using it as an exemplary thing uh, because I'm interested in the, uh, the illustration. Imagine, if you will, a young man in his freshman year in college um, in a kind of campus restaurant somewhere, only about six weeks into his freshman year, uh, completely disoriented and utterly surprised by his degree of alienation in a university in which he had no previous connection, organic connection whatsoever. And his few friends there are either upperclassmen or have gone away for the weekend, and he is uh, his roommate has gone to visit his uh, prep school girlfriend somewhere else, and so he, this young man, is all alone and completely and totally uh, out on a limb in terms of the feeling of the situation. And he happens to be with his girlfriend, who is also his girlfriend from before and is someone he cares totally about and is wrapped up in 100% in that part of his life, which is sort of everything at this point. And she has also begun college in a neighboring school, and she is just as um, undone as he and just as uh, surprised to be in a place where she has no organic roots and is working very hard to find them, just as he is. But uh, at this point, all they have is each other. You know, we've got each other. Two lost souls on the island of life. La, 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 la. The one for the other. You know, Damn Yankees, that song that is sung by, oh, two very famous actors. actors I can't remember them, except one was Gwen Verdon in Damn Yankees. Two lost souls. I mean, these are two young people freshman year of college, it happens that at this particular moment, they have no one else in the world in this particular place than each other. And they're getting ready. They're all well-dressed. They're dressed up in their in their finery to go to a football game of an institution that they have no natural affinity to. And he's bought her a mum, so to, uh, so-called, which he never even heard of till he got there, this dating culture, a fraternity culture, which is new to him. It will become familiar later, but at this point it is like Mars. And he's bought her a mum, and she looks great, and he looks the way he would want to look. And they have their two lost souls on the island of life, um, on the highway of life, on the plateau of life, and there's nobody there but them. And uh, they're ready to, they're going to an event that they don't, that everybody's going to be totally involved in and wildly absorbed in, and they don't have the slightest idea, no, really don't really care, and all they really care is about sort of each other, but they have no context in which to work that out either, and they are completely alone. So on the jukebox in this little sort of diner, which is a nice place. They're having their hamburger and fries, and you can see it right now in your head, and Hey Jude comes on. Now, this is a song that they've known before, they've loved before, they've sung to it before, they've danced or sat and thought about it before, they've lived it, and here comes this song, and it's the Lennon McCartney version. It goes on and on and on, and so this song forever stamps that moment, that remarkable, highly felt, romanticized 
isn't this the worst? And isn't this the summit of ecstasy? And isn't it the worst, loneliest? You know, in that it's a movie called In a Lonely Place that my friend George Ferris loves, and I love it with Humphrey Bogart and Gloria Graham. Is that it? Yes, In a Lonely Place. It's so great, this movie. And there they are in a lonely place at age 18. And yet there's Hey Jude. Now, what does that actually say? Well, that says something quite different than what you might think. And that's the second and concluding point of this short sermon. George, which is my word for God, takes you through moments like that to reduce you to the breakdown that we're talking about to lead you ultimately to the place where he wants you to go. Now, I believe in a good God. I just do. You, you, you probably don't or may not or resist it. But I myself believe in a benign God. I really do believe that. I believe it in a very fundamental core felt and personified manner because I've seen him in action recently as well as in the past. So he takes me into this situation, which will end in about a year and a half after this uh, this uh, event I've just described, and it will end in disaster and catastrophe and the most terrible uh, sort of reversal of my entire life up to that point that I was aware of. The most poignant reversal I've ever been through in my conscious life, right there. And what will happen is uh, I'll be pulled through, you might say, through a, through a, I'll be, I'll be pulled like a, like a net through a little hole in the, in the, in the, canvas i'll be pulled through this through, through a through a hole like the the eye of a needle my whole life will be pulled through it and call, call it through the nose because there'll be cartilage everywhere and blood and i'll have permanently a scar in my nose because i've been pulled through this tiny little suffering moment uh, and my whole hopes as a human being as a man as a young man have been destroyed as i see it and feel it and i'm pulled through this tiny interstice and destroyed and I'm bleeding and I'm absolutely lost and there what little as I am is there all bloodied through this uh, tiny aperture and uh, I look around me and what do I see I I meet my wife now this is extraordinary because the the very disaster and catastrophe and pain of the hey jude moment turns not all that much longer into the vision of my future. And the good God, once he has taken me off a stage which was not built on solid foundations and puts me on a different stage that is built on slightly different and better foundations, long way from where they need to be, but at least not where they were. And suddenly I open my eyes. You know, the Swiss family Robinson, I've been washed under the shore and I open my eyes and actually I'm in a, you know, I think I can live here. I, th I think I could live here despite the despite the storm and the shipwreck that brought me onto this beach all alone. I look up and I, the sun is shining, and I might I might could uh, live here, and that becomes the beginning of my Swiss Family Robinson. And in actual historical fact, I looked up at that moment, which wasn't much longer, almost exactly a year after this Hey Jude moment, and I look up and there's my a person who will become my wife, uh, my wife of forty years. Now it's interesting. A lot of my old friends, if you knew the truth about them had unfortunate first marriages. A lot of you, if we knew the truth about you, had unfortunate first marriages. A lot of you have children from that you had out of marriage in the days before abortion, and they suddenly turn up 19, 20 years later. This happened all the time to people of all, today we say demographics, of all sorts of conditions, of all races, ethnicities. It happened to people, and it was a familiar experience. It just wasn't talked about. Well, in the same way, an awful lot of people in the age that I was at the Hey Jude moment married that person, whoever it was, 
and really wanted to, and it was in good faith. And then for reasons based on more your own immaturity and selfishness and inability to understand anything, and certainly your inability to love another, it fell apart. And there was a divorce, and you looked up, and there she was. And there became your, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the true love was actually the second love. And uh, uh, friends of mine have children who are the ages of, of Mary's and my children. And yet, in fact, it's a second wife. And it could have been for all practical purposes for myself or for any number of you. Uh, what I mean to say is, hey, Jude pulled me through a terrible, terrible time in which, um, in which I was overwhelmingly to blame, if that is even the right word. But you have to accept it without rebuke, don't you? Without objection. You have to look up when you get through that. And in fact, God, as I see it, often sends an angel, uh, sends simply a possibility. And in this case, it took years. But nevertheless, I met her when I was in the Swiss Swiss family Robinson Beach, having just been washed upon the shore, dead, dead. And that is another thing that the song connotes. So I'll conclude. The song connotes the uh, dismantling and the breaking down of you into constituent elements, which happens in your life when the stress and the inner fissures meet and you blow up. And then what happens is, the song tells me, our text teaches me that there is a good and hopeful future for the suffering, remorseful, deeply alone, and catastrophically wounded bird that you and I are. Thank you so very much. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. (laughs) 